Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Brooke Schultz. Brooke is a multi-passionate creative whose work includes everything from writing a musical about motherhood to photographing families. Her work's been featured in places like Oprah, Martha Stewart, and Parents Magazine. While she seems to always have a lot of interesting projects in the hopper, she says she's most fascinated by wrapping creativity around what she calls the amazing, excruciating chance to choose love in a family every day. Brooke also inspires women to live more creatively in their art and beyond through her podcast called Wildly Creative Life. This is a really fun conversation, so let's get into it. All right, Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you, Annie. It's a treat. I know living a wildly creative life for you goes way beyond the so-called creative outputs that sometimes we judge our creative life by. So let's start there. What does living a wildly creative life mean for you? Yeah, well, as women who have accomplished a lot, we tend to sometimes measure ourselves only by accomplishment. And when you think of a creative person, you often think about just their their work, their artwork, their projects, their music, whatever their medium is. But to me, a wildly creative life has to include all of the other things that living includes. It has to include the mundane. It has to include those times when the laundry is so piled high that you're like, how did this happen? It just was here yesterday. And I just tackled this yesterday, all that mundane. And so I think it was really born for me of really struggling with the mundane and asking myself, how can I really jazz this up and get juiced from all of this repetitive, boring, everything that seems to be mostly what life is about. There has to be more. So then I started to take what I was doing in my formal creativity and applying it to the mundane aspects of life. So I asked myself questions like, how can I do this day or this chore with just a little more of three things? Number one was fun. Number two was intention. Number three was ingenuity. And so we often just think of only ingenuity as creativity. Like it has to be this mind blowing idea. But to me, the mundane stuff was not mind blowing at all. And so then I started to think about how can I bring more fun and intention to these aspects? And those three guideposts can take you from your mundane aspects of your life to your relationships, to your formal creativity. If you have a thing yet right now, and if you don't, by the end of this episode, you will. <laughs> so that that's kind of the gist of it. I am loving this lens because I I just finished teaching my six-week mastermind and I am naturally someone who comes up with little games just to make my own life fun. And I want to talk about, okay, I'm going to mirror this back to you, fun, intention, and ingenuity. So bringing that energy that you normally greet all your like amazing creative projects to your everyday life is part of the way you stay creative, like this little game I make, I made up and I like play with myself when I like my house is just like, Oh, I don't want to do this. I want to do my creative work. I will like pretend that a 
really fun guest is on her way, like a famous person. And I'll put on music. I'll be like, she's going to be here in 10 minutes. What can I get done? (laughs) It's so silly, but it makes it just be like, okay, I can only clean up for 10 minutes and it helps (laughs) just a little twist. Yeah. And like kids do this all the time, naturally, right? Like they're making a rocket ship from a toothbrush for no other point other than it's fun. And I think as adults, we lose this sense of play so easily. Like we are so obsessed with the productivity aspect of, of creativity, of life, of work, that we think that somehow fun is not valuable unless it comes with an ROI. But really tapping back into that aspect of just play for play's sake and incorporating play into the kind of have tos, the shoulds. I love that. That's amazing. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Today. Well, give us give us an example that's worked in your life or with with other women you've helped in terms of infusing that fun energy into the kind of everyday stuff that we all know we do. Music is a big one. Music carries so much energy and vibration that sometimes if I'm feeling a little blah, I'll just turn on some tunes. That's probably a go-to that a lot of people have. So I think the best guiding question is just asking yourself, how can I make this more fun right now? Or just what would feel so good right now? I think we're trained a lot to not trust ourselves in those questions and to feel like our bodies or our intuition or our desires are somehow dangerous or shouldn't be shouldn't be responded to. And sometimes the answer to what would feel so good right now is not really possible in the context of whatever you're doing, right? And so I think just having a practice where you continuously tune back into yourself. So for me, it's it's writing, sometimes it's voice recording. And when I started to ask myself this question a lot more often, like how can I have more fun right now? Or what would feel so good right now? When I was looking at these you know, long stretches of motherhood, I have four kids, I have a special needs kiddo. So for me, because of the logistics of my kids and their ages, a lot of what I felt was necessary for me at that time was just staying home. And I didn't feel like I could go a lot of places with my special needs kiddo. And so I was like, I'm just looking at this big, long afternoon of who knows what we're going to do. And so asking myself that question of how can I make this feel so good right now? I started thinking, well, when they're at the park, they're having fun. So I'll take them to the park and we can at least go there, get some sunshine. And I really want to document what this is and write these experiences and, and craft this somehow. So I started just doing voice memos to myself and it started with my desires and then it evolved into, okay, I want to write a musical and I have a degree in music education, but that had been sort of a past life for me. And so deciding I'm going to write a musical was like, wow, where did that come from? And it felt so huge and overwhelming, but I just decided to believe I have everything I need right now. And so I started just voice recording melody ideas and little riffs and, you know, storyline ideas while my kids were at the park. And it was like, it's so messy. It feels like nothing most of the time. But then the gorgeous, you know, middle of that story that we're at right now is that I had the incredible opportunity to actually pitch the musical to a Broadway producer. So exciting. But like the the point of all that is t- that it started from that question of like, how can I just enjoy my days more? We can't help but create. Human beings are creative. We create everything. And so you can't help but start a project. You can't help but start a little something, something. Yeah, there's so much there. I want to go a little bit more deep into that because it sounds like you 
were in a position where you needed to make some life choices. I mean, having four kids is a lot to begin with. And then a special needs child that needed your attention and you wanted to be home during that time. It sounds like you were feeling like a little creatively malnourished though. And this gets me into something I've heard you talk about where about having capital D desires, which are a little different. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I think we all can relate to having desires that we know that maybe we're more in touch with different aspects of desire than others. Like you can tell when you have a desire for food or for treats or for, you know, watching Netflix, those are lowercase desires. Mm -hmm. But then there's this spark inside all of us. And this is what I'm absolutely obsessed with is this spark that says, I'm here for something bigger. I'm here for something wider and deeper than is here at this particular time materially. Right. And when we start to pay attention, then we get these little whispers of these capital D desires about like, what if I did this thing? What if I started taking pictures of my kids? What if I started writing and started sharing that on Instagram? What if I started a podcast? These little whispers of ideas. And sometimes we have a bigger vision for what they are, but a lot of times it just starts with kind of the balm that we need for our own healing and wounds. You know, the the motherhood musical for me was very reflective of just, I feel so lonely and unseen in my motherhood experience. And so I need a way to flow all that angst. And the, the gorgeous thing of that was that I was able to, I just decided one day I'm just, I'm done with therapy because I'm actually getting way more juice from writing my musical than I am from therapy. And that's not to encourage people to quit therapy by any means. But I think that when we start to feel aligned and we start to get in the space where we can say, ah, there it is. And you have felt this, whether it's in a relationship, like you can point to times where you felt aligned. And so I think that capital D desire is about alignment. And it's about also just following those breadcrumbs into what the next right thing could be. Yes, I completely agree with you in terms of not ignoring these little glimmers of things that feel like a spark, but it feels lit up. It feels very inspired energy. So I think there's a lot of excuses and I've worked with many women and a lot of creative women. Time is always an excuse and you're living proof that you can create in ways that maybe don't look air quote perfect. You know, oftentimes in the motherhood years, we don't have these huge chunks of time that we'd love to have. So I know that you bump up against this with women you work with too. What do you tell people who use the time excuse? Yeah, I think the time excuse is our favorite because people believe it and they buy it, right? Like you can just say, oh, I'm I'm just so busy and I don't have time. And most people will agree with you. Like nobody's going to be like, listen, but I'm here to be the person that says, listen, you don't have a time problem. You most likely have a courage problem and you most likely have a vulnerability problem because if you think about how long does it actually take to send that email that you've been wanting to send for a collaboration or to hit post on the post, it really takes probably five minutes of concentrated willingness to that. And what we're really saying when we don't saying we don't have time is I'm not willing to do it messy, number one, and I'm not willing to handle and manage the emotions that come up when I do put something out. How did you move through that? Well, I actually built my business simultaneous with my family. I 
started off as a wedding photographer and I was a wedding photographer when I was pregnant with my first baby 10 years ago. So I, I think that I had the advantage of already having a thing, having a creative thing, but as I've moved along and gotten more opportunities and more success, then I have gotten a couple of go-to thoughts that really help me when I'm coming up against that upper limit and coming up against my ceiling. And one is that that idea of like, okay, this is an upper limit. This ceiling that I'm feeling, this fear that I'm feeling, this is about to become my new floor. And you know, when I was first starting out doing photo shoots, I would get really nervous. And I started asking myself, how can I just be less nervous without going through just the trial and error of like, it will come with time and experience. I was like, I don't have time for that. I need to be less nervous now. <laughs> and I came across this idea. It's made popular by Simon Sinek, but he says, you know, when they ask Olympians and they interview them, they say, were you nervous for your event? And they say, no, I wasn't nervous. I was excited, but it's the same sensation in the body. Right? So I started saying, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. And that feeling of excitement started to get actually addictive. And now it's to the point where if I don't have something that feels so edgy and sort of unknown in my creative life and in my business and just my life in general, then I start to feel a little saggy and a little bit like depleted. I have really learned to dive in and relish that feeling of unknown, that feeling of, yes, it's fear, but it's also excitement. And you can label it any way you want and label it in a way that can serve you. That's a powerful practice. I feel like for women, same thing, if we all get called on to speak publicly sometimes and just deciding that I'm excited and just telling ourselves that and channeling it that way. I totally agree. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think that's a super helpful perspective. So what are some of the things you you say you like to have something edgy or something cooking? What are some things you're doing right now in your life that are making you feel super alive? So on this macro big scale of projects that are making me feel really alive, there's the motherhood musical that I mentioned. I'm, I also just started a magazine for family photographers and like, have I ever started a magazine before? I don't know. No, absolutely not. And I don't know what I'm doing. And that's the best part. I think people think so often I'm not going to start something unless I think I'm going to be good at it. And I'm not really willing to suck. And that's the other great thing that I feel like is the secret to any success that I've had is I'm willing to look stupid. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to be bad at something. And the the trick comes when you're bad at something that you care a lot about. So that's honestly where I am in the musical development process. Like I care so much about it, but I'm not that great yet. And I need, you know, a collaborator. I need all these next steps for me, but really just getting back into that aspect of how can I be of service? When you're in service, you can't be an imposter that idea of imposter syndrome, if you're constantly worried about, you know, how am I being perceived and everything else, like you cannot be in service. And that's really what makes me feel most alive is that feeling of contribution. And, you know, those messages that I get of like, wow, I didn't think that I had time for this, but you are proof that I can. And you have no idea who is being silently inspired by you. Such a good reminder. Okay. I'm glad that you brought up two very different things when I was asking you what's making you feel super alive. 
So you're working on this motherhood musical, and I love your perspective about making sure it's not fear that's in our way and just taking that bold action. If you're feeling called, I think if you want something that usually wants you back, but you have to be mm-hmm. bold enough to step towards it, even in these small <laughs> voice memo at the park ways, because it will build over time and my experience as well. So you mentioned the musical, and then you mentioned starting your own magazine. I'd like to hear your perspective on being multi-passionate because I think it's fantastic. And I think some people have many things that light them up, but sometimes we can make ourselves play small as women because we can feel like we're too much or like it's unfocused or we won't be taken seriously enough if we're not kind of branding ourselves in a certain way, for example. So tell me about your perspective there. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've sold everything from $7,000 retreats to $7 voice memo pep talks that I would give to people on Instagram. And what I've learned through that whole, through that whole gamut of offerings is number one, it's the best time in the history of the world, in my opinion, to be a multi-passionate creator because never has it been easier to put something out and to get immediate feedback. You can put an offer out you know, and have feedback in a few days as to whether it's something that people resonate with or not. You can put content out and people can start to respond and react or not, and then you can pivot. And it's that playing of the game that can be so fun, especially for someone who has many interests. And the thing that I would recommend is a lot of times if you have so many ideas, then you get paralyzed. Like, I don't know which idea to choose. And the thing that I have done to help quiet that for myself is to believe that life is long enough for me to live all the creative lives that I want to live. And then I just choose something and I don't make it mean anything about what's coming next. So I usually put anything that I'm interested in and wanting to choose on a project-based timeline. So I recommend starting with 30 days. And you know, for different projects, this is going to be maybe a different scope. But if you just say, I'm focusing on this thing for the next 30 days, 60 days, whatever, then you give your brain all that focus and all that quiet of like, okay, all the other bright, shiny object, all the other bright, shiny ideas, they're going on the back burner until, for example, the magazine is done. Like, I know that I'm not allowed to kind of flirt with any other ideas until this idea has been brought to completion. Yes, this so resonates with me. I've gone through periods of time where I just have a journal that's just called ideas. And one <laughs> of the things that I, you know, had have to get over is this balance of just realizing that just because I have an idea and I don't execute on it right away, although sometimes it can be exciting to be like, oh my gosh, I have this idea and I feel so inspired by it, but not assuming it has a shelf life but capturing it. But I like that guardrail that you have of the 30 days because the shiny object, I think the dark side, if you will, of being a multi-passionate creative type is sometimes you can feel scattered or you're not giving enough attention to really meaningfully, you know, create. And I think that can be dissatisfying sometimes because sometimes I think it's almost fear driven. Like if I don't focus too much on this, I'm not taking myself seriously enough. So I am not having enough skin in the game that I'm not going to lose if it doesn't get published or if I don't launch or whatever you want to take. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned this idea of winning versus losing, 
because when I discovered that the joy of a creative life has to be in the playing of the game, it can't be in the winning. It can't be in the accomplishments, the accolades, the whatever, because obviously that horizon line always moves. And so we have to think of things in terms of the joy of continuing to play the game and not in terms of winning the game. And so in terms of like, how do you make this make sense to yourself when you have so many ideas, etc.? that project timeline can really help you because then at the end of that timeline, you have a choice. You have enough information, you have enough data to know just from yourself, do I want to continue pursuing this? And then also hopefully from an audience, a market, uh, you know, somebody else that's involved in this process, like, do I want to continue to pursue this right now? Or do I maybe want to put it put it down and, and come back later. But the other beautiful thing about being a multi-passionate creator or entrepreneur or just person in general is that people crave that intimacy. Like right now, more than ever, we're craving that one-on-one connection, that personalized feeling of connection with someone that we're interested in. And so if you think of someone even like Reese Witherspoon, who we don't have personal contact with her, but she has all these projects going on. She has her book club. She has her clothing line. She has her directing. It all makes sense because it's all her. So the same thing is true with you. If you're looking to actually monetize some or all of your passions, there's no reason that you need to just niche down and only, only do one thing because it's going to make sense because it's you and your fingerprint on each individual medium is going to be the secret sauce. Love that. Love that perspective. So life happens. And as you know, sometimes we're in that high vibe, juiced up, ready to create mode. And sometimes it can feel like a slog. And I think every woman goes through days, weeks, and seasons where they're just feeling like they're not vibing. What are some of like practical things besides the music that you do, or you recommend to other women that you work with just to get into more of that day-to-day vibrant, creative living mode? Well, I think inherent in this question is kind of this myth that we should always feel creative or that it's possible to always feel that vibrant and alive. And I love to remember that the natural world is such a great clue lever for us that We don't expect blooms in the wintertime. And similarly, as women, our bodies are actually cyclical. And so I don't expect myself to have the same level of productivity or output or creativity at every point in the day, at every point in my cycle. Like all of it needs to be taken into account and created, co-created, right? So instead of, you know, placing some really high demands on myself in the winter season of my cycle, like the bleed season of my cycle, I place those higher demands on me when I'm in ovulation in the summer season of my cycle. So that like co-creation aspect and just kind of being in harmony with your cyclical aspects of things, even just winter time, like for every single creative person that I've talked to, winter time, like outside winter time is a period of less outward creation. And more generally speaking, a period of inner rest. So that's one piece. But then there are times when you're like, okay, I got this thing on my calendar. I gotta, you know, feel creative. I gotta do the thing. Start with physicality. Going for a walk is a really great 
access point because you can do it even when you're just not feeling like it. You just start going for a walk. And you know, Steve Jobs and many other innovators famously held walking meetings. They've studied walking extensively about how it gets the juices flowing. They did this one really cool study where they asked people to think of creative uses for household items and measured how many creative, how many different uses could they think of for these different items. And the control group thought of ideas while they were sitting down. This study group thought of ideas while they were walking. Of course, the walking group came up with a ton more ideas. So walking is a really great one. Another one is actually cold therapy. That's one that I love to use. So even just Something as simple as turning your shower the coldest it can possibly go for the last 30 seconds. Don't do it for the first 30 seconds. Like, don't torture yourself that way, (laughs) at least right out of the gate. Especially if I'm feeling tired, I am just haven't had the best night of sleep, then just turning the shower on cold for 30 seconds at the end of my shower, it physiologically changes your, changes everything for your cells and helps you feel more alive. The last little sort of hack that I will give is, actually going upside down. When you physically turn your body upside down, blood rushes to your head, that's blood to your brain, and it gives you actually a little boost in creativity. So of course you're not gonna do that you know, constantly, but if you just really need it for a particularly pivotal moment, it's a great hack to have in your bag. Hey, I got I got to rush out of this conversation and get my handstand going, girl. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Those are great tips. Okay, well, we're coming up towards the end because you've experienced creativity in so many different facets. I just wanted to give you a chance to more globally offer. Is there anything else on your heart right now? Just being a mother who feels like she is tapped in, tuned into her creative purpose. Any other advice you would have to share for women that are aspiring to kind of be in that place? It's so much closer than you think, so much easier than you think. Most women that I talk to think they have to complete like 10 steps before they can do the thing that they actually want to do. Skip it. Just go right to the right to the guts of it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I had no business pitching this musical to this Broadway producer. My musical's not done. It's not even close to being done. All I had to show him when he was like acapella singing of four songs. That was it. But now I'm in his ear. And so just find a way to cut through and to just go straight from A to Z. You do not have to, in most cases, create content for six months before you make an offer. Like you can make an offer tomorrow if you're trying to monetize anything in your creativity. You don't need to get all these supplies for your painting. You could just order something quickly off Amazon and get painting tomorrow. The most important thing in your creative practice is doing the work. And anything that's not that is very likely distracting you. It's very likely resistance. So find ways to catch yourself in that and go out and and create some magic. I love that. Find ways to actually just do the thing. Yes, that is solid. (laughs) All right. I always end my podcast with the same question. And that's what's one question women should be asking themselves more. How can I do this messy? Love it. Brooke, this has been such a delight. And I know that women will want to learn more about you and follow your play, which I know is Broadway blonde. So tell us, tell us where we can find you, support you and learn from you. Yes. Thank you, Whitney, so much. This has been a 
a pleasure. So I have a podcast as well. It's called Wildly Creative Life. You can search it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like some freebies, I have six hacks for skyrocketing creativity, even if you're super busy over at brookbschultz.com forward slash get creating. Wonderful. All right. Are you on any social media where oh, we yeah. can follow you? Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's at brookbschultz. There's a lot of letters in there, but Schultz is S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. All right. We'll capture it in the show notes as well. (laughs) Awesome. This was so wonderful to connect. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.